But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified of God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him, in fact, if the dead are not raised. And if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we hope in Christ, we are more to be pitied than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn. Christ, the firstfruits, then, when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says everything has been put under him, it is clear that it does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. When he, done, when he has done this, then the Son of Man will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. Now, if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I die every day. I mean that, brothers. Just as surely as I glory over you in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I have fought the wild beast in Ephesus for mere... If I fought wild beast in Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. May the Lord add his blessing to this word. The congregation in Corinth 
was in many respects a problem church. It caused a lot of pain and heartache for the Apostle Paul. Paul went there in about 51 after a very unfruitful evangelistic effort in Athens and he stayed in Corinth for about 18 months. Corinth was a seaman's paradise and a moral cesspool. The divorce was rampant and prostitution plagued the streets and the moral air was polluted with the luring aroma of sin. The moral depravity of this city was most vividly reflected in the spiritual need of Corinth. The vile character of the old city carried over into this city that we know in the New Testament times. There was actually an expression that goes like uh, the one we, we sometimes use, sodomy. It is to talk about homosexualism as it was practiced in Sodom and Gomorrah. But to, to act the Corinthian, that was an expression widely, widely used through, the, through all the world, then uh, it is to commit fornication. It is, it is basically to say that if you act like a Corinthian, everyone knew exactly what, what you did. So that was the, the, the aroma of, of the spiritual life in, uh, in uh, uh, Paul's time. The city contained nothing less than 12 temples, and the most famous was the one dedicated to the goddess of love, whose worship has practiced also religious prostitution. The, the idea went like this, that uh, if you uh, prostituted yourself and people had sexual immorality with you, male or female, at the temple, it was almost like an act of worship to gods. Some of the practices of these heathen temples and religions were carried into the worship of the Christian church. And this is what caused Paul to see to be so broke, heartbroken for the church in Corinth. Amongst other things, some of the Christians in the Corinth church did not believe in the resurrection. Chapter 15 of this letter deals with that problem. And then when the apostle deals with this problem, he sums it up. When he summed up the whole gospel in a few verses, and he says towards the end of that in verse 11, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. This is what we preach, and this is what you believed. That is to say, this is the summary of our, of our message. Now, some liberal scholars in our day cunningly deduce from this chapter in the Bible that Paul did not know anything about the bodily resurrection of Christ because he does not mention the empty grave. Now, I, I, I read through this over and over again, and I, I couldn't help myself but in the end to laugh at this argument. He said, Paul said, yes, Jesus did rise from the dead, but because he is not mentioning an empty grave, it does not mean that Jesus rose bodily, but only spiritually. Now, I, I can only think that 
even the children with us today, if you talk about the risen Christ, they, they would know what he, he rose from the dead, which means that the, the grave is open and, and, and he's bodily risen from the dead. It is only with very crafty arguments that they then say that the reference to Christ appearing to all the people mentioned in verses 5 to 8 is what people in the end believed about the resurrection of Christ, which was then added at a later stage to the text. You see? Very clever. And therefore they say the Gospels came later. The Gospels then, actually what it does is he, what he, what he did is he took, he took all the, the stories that people had about Jesus and put it together. And this is what we got to the, uh, have as the Gospel these days. Uh, now, it, such argument is plainly absurd. If someone would want to believe that Christ died and that he had a spiritual resurrection, one would at least take some of what the Bible says as the truth, isn't it? You would, you would take some of it as the truth to build your argument. Now, the question is why? Why, if you reject one fact mentioned in the Scriptures, do you take the others for being false? Who gives you that right? It would be plain stupidity. The whole argument falls in a heap. Because who determines what is the truth and what is added? We take the Bible from the first verse to the last or we throw it out. Paul deals with the argument of some that there is no resurrection from the dead and he concludes, we preach that Christ has been raised from the dead but what, uh, but what it also points out is that if he is not raised from the dead then we have no message. On the other hand, if, he's, if Christ is raised from the dead, this momentous event would have an effect on those who believe in him. And that's exactly the point. He therefore closes the argument with this statement, no resurrection from the dead means no living Christ. And no living Christ means no gospel. End of the story. Close the books. Go home. It is therefore only logic that he stacks the arguments one after the other saying, if Christ has not been raised one after the other, and let's look at those. He said if Christ has not been raised, the preaching of the gospel is useless. The Bible here refers to what prophets and ministers of the word have been doing and are doing as a divine charge received from God to be useless. The term preach here is a very, very important term. And I think that ministers of our modern day churches need to take uh, heed of what this term means. This term is not to give a talk. It's not only to give a talk. This term, preach, is a word used throughout the Bible. And in the Old Testament, we see the prophets of the Lord would say, Thus, thus saith the Lord. It's very important. It is God's word. 
It's the utterance of the word of God as received from God. And synonyms to this word is to evangelize or to herald or to proclaim. This word is used in reference to the words of Moses. Like for instance in Acts chapter 15 verse 21. For Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogue. It he. Moses, that's the Old Testament, has been preached. It has been proclaimed as God's word. That's what ministers need to do. This word, when John, is also used when John the Baptist preached the word of God. We read about that in Mark chapter 1, verse 4 and 7. As, and so as John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for, all forgive, uh, for the forgiveness of all sins. And this was his message. He's, this is what he preached. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. That was his message. It was about Christ. Jesus is also preached in the gospel. And so did the other apostles. To preach Christ means to announce him as the Messiah and urge the reception and, and a reaction on this gospel. We read in Acts chapter 8, 5, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed or preached Christ there. And at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. So, it's a very important term to say we preach the gospel. It is to say what we are doing is what God sends us to do. And it's his word. It's not our word. It is his word and his word is about himself and his son, Jesus Christ. This is what Paul says. What the apostles and the ministers of the word of God are doing would be useless if Christ has not been raised from the dead. You get the point? It would say, it would be to Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel and Elijah and all those prophets and John the Baptist. We could sit down and say, John, you know what you, what you did there and the reason why you actually got beheaded was, was useless. You wasted your time. We'd be saying in our day too that why, why do people go to church? It's, it's useless. Why do you give your life for this? And as a matter of fact, I, I believe that there are ministers in pulpits today who actually don't believe that Christ rose from the dead bodily. To them we can say, you waste your time. Give the keys back and go home. You waste your time. Paul writes in, uh, in, Corinthian, in Colossians chapter 2. He said, if this, if this preaching of the gospel is useless, he wants us to understand what he means by this term. 
And therefore he says in Colossians chapter 2, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. Hollow and deceptive philosophy. Just to, just to check this out, I went to the website of Dr. Francis McNabb in, uh, in Melbourne. You know, the, the, the fellow who wants a new faith now. He says the old one is, is outdated. We've, we've reached the point where we have to make a new one. And people are singing songs of praise to this man, and they say, well, uh, he, he, he inspires us to think. That is a hollow and a captive and this, uh, 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 people are taken captive with a hollow and deceptive philosophy. It means nothing. Useless preaching is to preach deceptive philosophy. It is to preach in vain. It takes you nowhere. It means nothing. It is time and energy wasted. For this every preacher will give account before God. But our preaching, when we preach according to the word of God, is not in vain and is not hollow because we preach Christ and him crucified. We preach the living Christ, the one who was raised from the dead, the one who is victorious over the power of evil and all the effects of sin. And that's why the Apostle Paul writes, and he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, 5 and 6, Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. Deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us for the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. Paul did not doubt the gospel that he was preaching. And therefore he says in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2 to 4, For the gospel we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak. And once again we find that term, preach, speak, proclaim. As men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our heart. In fact, without the risen Christ, our gospel would be one big lie. Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that. We are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that He raised Christ from the dead. The gospel is about Christ, about Him crucified, about Him being raised from the dead. His life, His sacrifice, His death and His resurrection is indeed the fulfillment of everything written about in the Old Testament. No preaching the gospel is to preach a lie. It is to say things about God which is not true. 
Some preachers actually do that and reduce the message of the Bible to a book of self-help religion with no grace in it, but only a cheap, meaningless, humanistic, emotional, and sentimental love. I feel I can run away from so many people who would just say, we need to love one another. That is the heart of the gospel. Now, that is true. But truth is also the fact that the Bible says, love rejoices with the truth. And it's not only to grab certain aspects out of the gospel that you think that suit you. I saw a TV program the other night in which the presenter went out of his way to demonstrate that all religions are just about doing good and loving one another. He therefore concluded that it is not what Jesus came to do which counts, but what he came to teach what counts. So he died for nothing. It's only what he taught. What rubbish. Such a gospel is a lie. It is meaningless. It is hollow. It takes us nowhere. Further, without Christ risen from the dead, preachers would have no gospel. All of us would still be in our sins. And this is a vast statement. Without the resurrection of Christ, we would still be in the bondage of sin. And on our way to eternal destruction and hell. Just imagine proclaiming such a message. This is what people like Dr. McNabb is trying to do. He said, there is no resurrection from the dead. The only message here is that we live in a world where there is enormous amount of violence in this world. That's what Good Friday tells us. Good Friday tells us that we live in a world full of violence. We have our lows. That's the grave of Christ. And we need to learn how to overcome these moments by learning more about ourselves and our ability to be better people. That's the resurrection. Can you believe that? Can you believe this? What a pathetic gospel this is. Well, if Christ is not risen from the dead, our faith would be futile. To have futile faith is to have faith which is without purpose. Why would then one then believe? Why would you call it faith in the first instance? Some people actually believe this way. They believe with a shrug of the shoulder. You ask him, do you believe in God? I don't know. I, I believe in someone up there. That's no faith. That is a philosophy. That's an idea. A speculation. To have such faith is, is to hold to some loose speculation which is worthless and empty. Oh, I see it all the time. I see it all the time when you go out and you ask people about their spiritual health and their spiritual uh, uh, life before God. Uh, people say, well, you know, try my hardest. If this is the only thing one can say, stop trying to do the good thing and just do all the bad things in your life. Because that faith doesn't do anything 
Good. It takes you nowhere and means nothing. If faith, if faith, if anyone has such faith, there is no difference between him and the non-believer. I also read a very, very vast statement this week that someone says he went and he asked a lot of people as to what they believe in. And he got the most clear answer from those who believed in nothing. You ask Christians what they believe and they come up with all sorts of stories. You ask the non-believer and you get a straight answer. That's hollow. That's hollow. When the message of the living Christ, without the message of the living Christ, our faith is futile. We can just as well shut the doors of the church, close the bank accounts, divide the money between ourselves, and go to the local pub and have a good time. Because that's the conclusion that the Apostle Paul draws in just a few verses down in this chapter. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. What does this mean? What is the challenge that it puts us before? And I think the challenge is this. Do you believe that the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead? Do you really believe that? You really believe that? Don't shrug your shoulders and say, oh, well, I don't really. You have to say, yes, I do. But because if you really believe that is the case, it changes your life. If it does change your life, you will put your life on the line for this gospel as the apostles did. You know that all of them, maybe with the exception of one, maybe John, did not die a cruel death. But all of them believed and they put their life on the line for what they believed. Listen to what the apostle says about dying with purpose. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward a goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I just want to be there. Therefore, he says in Philippians chapter 1, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For, I'm, for I am to go on living in the body. This will, be, uh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. For I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart to be with Christ, which is far better. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. That is life for the gospel. If Christ was not raised from the dead, we would be pathetic. And perhaps that's what the church thinks of us, but the world thinks of us, but that's okay. Let them think about that. 
Paul says that he and others who expose themselves to death, to persecution, to hunger, to trials and tribulations, and all others who heard their message will be pathetic if Christ was not raised from the dead. If Christ was not raised from the dead, we just die like dogs. Our life would be meaningless, as meaningless as that of an animal, and our death would have no purpose. We'd live for nothing, believe in nothing, and die for nothing. That is pathetic. It is miserable. But that, of course, is not true. Christ is risen. We have reason to live. We have reason to believe. We have reason to spend time, talent, and energy on behalf of the gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ. And we will see him in the life hereafter. It surely has consequences for those who do not believe. Reject this message and face the living Christ on the other side of the grave. Where he will be the judge and not the advocate. What a dreadful misery that would be. We conclude. And I say... And I hope that all of us can say this this morning. For me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Paul ends this chapter of his, of First uh, Corinthians chapter 15 with this message. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not, what? In vain. It's not in vain. Why? Christ is alive. He is with us. And He has made us alive with Him. Our sins are forgiven. We have, given, have been given a new life. We've been given a place in heaven. And this living Christ will one day return. And then we'll be with him. Forevermore. That article in the, uh, the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the Resurrection of the dead. It makes the difference. Amen. Our Father, we thank you that we, we worship a living Christ. Thank you, Lord, that your gospel is not in vain. We thank you, Lord, that you send your, your ministers and your missionaries out into this world 
with this message of Christ. And now we know and we understand that that promise is your word will not return to you void. Father, we pray for those who preach the gospel to not uh, uh, water it down out of fear for what this world might think about it. Even, Lord, for the tendency we have in our day that ministers only give a, a little talk on a Sunday. Oh, Lord, replace that with a powerful message from heaven and change the lives of lost ones and equip your saints, Lord, each and every day for more service because our labor in the Lord is never in vain. We pray this in his name. Amen.